1: Welcome back to another episode of La Almond Latte and hello and welcome if this is your very first time listening please don't turn off. My name's Nicole and I'm your host. Fans I had one objective for my maternity leave besides like looking after the baby. One objective and I have absolutely failed. All I had to do was get Rich, so I could maintain my lifestyle as a lady of leisure, and I failed. And this week, my time was up, and I had to re-enter the proletariat workforce, and it was so weird. So I have to work from home. So I didn't have a desk buddy to distract me with like three hours chatting about our colleagues or Real Housewives. So I became productive, which is such a boring concept for me because I am laissez. But while I absolutely am endeavouring to do the bare minimum, I think it's going to make finding time for this podcast a little bit harder, especially seeing as I have a baby who is so needy. Obviously, fans, you are still my number one priority and I would never go through a Netflix Christmas season without bringing you the best reviews ever but I just wanted to flag that some episodes might be a little bit shorter and sometimes there might be less segments. Now, before we get into it, I have a few favors to ask, aka free marketing for me. Please take pictures wherever you're listening to this and share it in your Instagram stories, tagging us at large almond latte media. And if you've got Any topics, anything at all you want to see covered in this podcast, please leave it in the review section. See what I'm doing there? I'm getting your feedback, but also getting you to leave a review. So Apple will be like, that must be a really good podcast. Let's promote it. I'm a genius. Let's get into it. Today on the podcast, we're talking about cults. I review without any spoilers, Seduced, the docu-series that provides an inside look at the narcissistic, sexual sadist Keith Raniere and his self-help cult Nexium, through the eyes of one of his survivors. Then we look at why people join cults in the first place and why they don't just leave when they realize how cooked they are. Finally, I share some of my all-time favorite cults. Two of my absolute favorite cultural phenomenons are cults and MLMs because both of them encourage behaviors of their members that are so unfamiliar, so far removed from socially acceptable behavior. For me, watching cults and MLMs from afar is like watching a Karen throw a tantrum in a retail store near Christmas time. It's deplorable, but you've also got your popcorn out. Nexium is both a cult and an MLM, so you can imagine my squealing delight when I stumbled across a documentary about this called Seduced, which in Australia you can find on Stan. Now, I'm going to tell you the story, but I don't want to give away any spoilers because the documentary is well worth a watch, and I think giving away spoilers takes away some of the value of the documentary itself. Nexium was positioned as a self-help organization skewed towards the entrepreneur Neurally minded, but more importantly, and unspokenly, the rich and vulnerable. It was run by head creep, Keith Raniere, who claimed to have one of the highest IQs in the world. And spoiler alert, just like another certain Cheeto who claimed this, he absolutely does not. India Oxenberg was 19 when she first went to Nexium. She'd just dropped out of college the year before and was really lost and unsure what she wanted to do. She was a prime candidate. She was vulnerable and she was rich. Her grandma is a legit princess. From the first meeting, she was like, this is made for me. It's like the whole program was personally designed for her. But I think with people like this who are vulnerable and looking for the answer to all the questions they have, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going? There's a bit of confirmation bias involved. It's like when you read your star signs and it says, you're in Aries, you get angry when people cut you off in traffic. And you're like, that's totally true. It must be legit. Is it? Over the next five years, India spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on courses, like her whole inheritance and these courses are designed to elevate you up this ladder and this is where the MLM component comes into it but Nexium was like the chastity belt of MLMs because no matter how hard India worked after five years of doing these courses she still had not broken through to the point where she could make money despite the fact that she wasn't allowed to do anything else that earned her money and literally had no time to do anything else even if she wanted to. So she goes to her friend for a DNM and her friend tells her about this program called DOS, Dominus Obscurius Sororium, which translates to master and slave. And at this point, I feel like some sirens should definitely be going off. But India was like, yeah, cool. Sounds good. Because we'll go into the reasons why people don't see these Suits of red flags that are standing right in front of them, but basically, she was told this would help her break outside her comfort zone and ascend further up the ladder. Uh, so, DOS turns out to actually be a secret subset of Nexium, which has about zero percent to do with self-help and about one hundred percent to do with being a sex slave and serving the Grandmaster, the Almighty Keith Raniere. The documentary is built with interviews of other defectors, cult experts, and features Nexium footage that was never meant for the public eye, and you can definitely see why when you watch it. It will make you want to punch people, specifically Keith Raniere. The documentary is produced by India herself, so I was kind of weary of any biases going into it, but they're just isn't any possible way that there is an acceptable rebuttal to this story. It's a 9.5 out of 10 for me, an absolute must watch. But like I said at the top of the show, the behavior demonstrated by cult members is something so unrelatable for society's mainstream that I know that when I watch or read anything on cults, unless they're children, I'm like, why the fuck would you join a cult? Why don't you just say no? Why didn't you just walk away when you realized something was not right? I really wanted to answer that question. So Detective Nicole Olivia Benson has investigated and I'm here to tell you why the fuck people join cults in the first place, why they surrender their entire identities and how they are possibly willing to hand over their children to 80 year old cult leaders for marriage and why they're willing to die for these leaders. The answer to why people join cults is actually really simple. You don't need a psychology degree at all. According to Tom Bissett of the Baltimore Sun, it's because people are looking for love and acceptance because they want answers to the problems in their lives. Similarly, in the Netflix documentary Explained, they suggest that step one of indoctrination into a cult is you being vulnerable or at a crossroads in your life. So think back to India. She was unsure what she wanted to do. She was lost and she needed some direction. Perfect victim. So yeah, cults really play by get them when they're down mentality because like the rest of their operation, it's super unethical. So you might be like, yeah, but I've gone through a quarter life crisis and a midlife crisis. I dropped out of uni. I didn't join a cult. Yes. Well, this also says that unlike most people who find socially acceptable solutions to their problems, like having a mental breakdown or moving to Europe, these emotionally scarred individuals are willing to go beyond the bounds of normalcy in order to meet their deeply felt needs. Personally, self-help is not my brand and neither is religion. I I am definitely one of those people who prefers to keep my problems to myself and then release all the stress via intense anxiety attacks. So I really thought that I couldn't emphasize with these people and their need for acceptance from an aspirational source. But then I remembered that I actually have been in a cult, the F45 cult. I willingly attended regularly. I handed over excessive amounts of money every month they pushed me physically. They even had a doctrine posted on the wall and a fearless leader, Corey. But I guess since there was nothing illegal or unethical there, it might not be the best comparison. So I started thinking about if I knew anyone that could or would join a cult with these socially obtuse ethics and I definitely thought of my friends who at times were super vulnerable after a life change or a breakup or you know like dropping out of uni being made redundant and I definitely also made a personal note to watch them closely if that ever happened again. Okay, so the first part of the cult is a soft sell, inspiring words, posters, wisdom. It all sounds so amazing. But surely there's a point when you're like, hang on, that's not right. And that point might be when the cult leader tells you they're going to physically brand you or ask for your firstborn child who's eight years old to get married to the 80 year old cult leader who already has 11 wives. At that point, surely you would start to think that something is not quite right. Well, Firstly, cult leaders themselves are notoriously charismatic as fuck. Imagine if a Jehovah's Witness door salesman comes knocking on your door and they talk your way into your house and then they convert you. That's how charismatic these cult leaders are. Even if you think you've got a solid bullshit detector and you're still sitting there listening like, oh, there's no way that would happen. They can still get to you. They use mind control, which I was a little bit confused about. Apparently, mind control is not when someone controls you with their mind. A more accurate term I would suggest is psychological coercion. So, basically, what cults do is they take a vulnerable person and they break them down. They gain their trust, then prey on their weaknesses and their insecurities. And once they're broken down, they rebuild you in alignment with their doctrine. It's brainwashing. And I bet you're still thinking, I'm so smug, I wouldn't fall for that. I 100% think that every time I watch or read something on cults. But in the documentary Explained, they suggest that if you're Good at mind control, you can actually break down even the most intelligent people if you're given the opportunity. And I guess that's the key part. They need the opportunity. So you need to be willing to take the first step, which most of us are not. So they've got the mind control going, but there are also these additional steps to indoctrination that really ensure your commitment. The first one being that the cult ensures you're alienated or disaffected from the dominant culture. So there's no way you could be like, hang on, my cult was just on the news and the leader's going to jail. What? No, it's imperative that the cult is cut off from anyone who could tell them how cooked the cult is. No books, no TV, and this is a big one, no family. The only relationship you need in your cult is is your relationship with the leader because nobody else matters. So essentially a cult gets to this point where it's a closed reality and every input is designed to reinforce their doctrine and you completely lose your ability to critically analyze. That's why there's this point in Seduced when her mum says she's talking to her and she's just vacant because the person that she was before isn't there. She's just a product of brainwashing and mind control. It sounds so sad. But it's legit. Exploitation is a key element of cults. In the case of Nexium, it was money and sex. In a whole bunch of other cults, especially the religious ones, it's disgustingly kitty fiddling. You might be an absolute shell of a human being while you're inside this cult, but time after time we see these defectors come out and it's really clear that you don't lose your spidey sense. You still know when something truly fucked up is happening. Like India says in Seduced that she knew that something about the master and slave relationship wasn't right. She felt uncomfortable more times than she could count. But the reason a lot of these people don't speak up is because of peer pressure. Think about it. Even something totally unimportant. If you're in a room and every single person is arguing the genius of Dana's Gossip Girl, it's kind of hard to speak up otherwise. Or if you're a pedestrian crossing the road and the light is still red, but all the other pedestrians start to cross, you feel like you should cross as well. In Explained, they show the most basic experiment. They ask a bunch of candidates to look at a piece of paper and name the two lines that are the same height. For example, it's very clearly one and three, but the first three test candidates are actually dummies and they all say number two. So everyone else in the experiment followed them and said number two. And that is just something so simple. You haven't been sleep deprived and starved and brainwashed for years. So hopefully you can now see how people lose their entire identity and any voice once they're inside the cult. Then you have these malignant, sociopathic, narcissistic leaders, and you know that you are truly indoctrinated into a cult when you're willing to die for them. But I think understanding what happens in the cult doesn't make this as surprising anymore. So, There is nobody as important as the cult leader, and according to Bissett, cult members are willing to die for their leaders because they have come to believe that their own redemption is tied to the group and the leader. As much as I absolutely love the sociological aspect of a cult, the reality of them are absolutely fucking devastating. The good news, though, is that most people do leave cults by around the time they're 35, so if you were considering it, you've probably got enough time for a solid stint yet. I could not do an episode on cults without talking about some of my all-time favorites, so we have to start with the cult that defined all cults, Jonestown. If you've ever heard of the expression, drinking the Kool-Aid, which you definitely have, this is where it comes from. In 1955, Jim Jones started this progressive organization called the People's Temple. It was meant to be an organization free of violence, racial inequalities. It advocated for social justice and civil rights with the aim of, like all other cults, an egalitarian utopia. But shit, this one sounds really good. Like I would 100% sign up. But then Jim Jones gets his crazy on. He moves the 900 or so followers to Guyana to escape the threat of nuclear war, which actually in the scheme of crazy cult beliefs isn't actually too wild because it was the middle of the Cold War. Family members of the cult members got a bit of a whiff of what was going on in Guyana and were like, Mm, This sounds pretty cooked. They're brainwashed, they're sleep-deprived. So they send Congressman Leo Ryan to pop over and investigate in 1978. Jones was like, oh, shit, I think the jig is up. So one of his henchmen goes and shoots the congressman and Jones is like, better wrap this up. So he tells these people that it's time to ascend to a higher level and orders his followers to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Now, no, not all of the 900 followers were like, yeah, totally, I'm going to do this. There definitely were people that resisted and they were shot. All in all, over 900 people died that day. Heaven's Gate sounds like the biggest acid trip of a cult. It was founded like 98% of all truly fucked up cults in the US in 1972 by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. It's very important that you Google a picture of this guy because he looks like exactly the type of guy that would do everything I'm about to say. Now, I think Applewhite must have been one of the most persuasive people ever, even for a cult leader, because Heaven's Gate was based upon the premise that aliens would escort members to the kingdom of heaven via UFO. Like so many other cult leaders, Applewhite told his followers he was Jesus reincarnated, that God was an alien, and like all good cults, he encouraged his followers to give up all their possessions, money, and cut themselves off from their family. Also true to good cult form is a low-cal diet, so members are constantly hungry and unable to think straight. The Heaven's Gate Diet makes Paleo Pete look like an advocate for the food pyramid, They lived on maple syrup, lemonade, and cayenne pepper in order to rid themselves of sexual thoughts. What? Surprisingly, the diet was not effective in achieving its desired purpose and eight of the members also volunteered to be castrated. In March 1997, the Hallibop comet swung by Earth and the followers thought that this was going to conceal the arrival of their alien spacecraft. So they executed a mass suicide in order to move to the next level. The weirdest part about this is that the followers were all found in matching outfits, black tunics, The same Nike shoes, which have now been discontinued because of this event, and they all had their heads covered in plastic bags. Genuinely disturbing. I want to talk about a cult that's probably lesser known than the other ones, but if you live in Australia, it's local. Especially if you live in Melbourne, you probably know someone who knew someone who knew someone that was in this cult. Anne Hamilton-Byrne was a yoga teacher who naturally, like all good cult leaders, thought she was the reincarnation of Jesus. Her and her doctor husband started this group called The Family, where initially members would just have discussions around philosophy and religion, like there's video footage of it and it just looks like a dinner party. But oh yeah, one additional thing. Anne would demand 10% of the followers' incomes. This organization peaked in the 60s with around 500 members. And because it's the 60s, you might be thinking, oh, just like some free-loving hippies. It absolutely was not. The members were largely doctors, psychologists, nurses, academics from Melbourne University. Julian Assange's dad even joined for a while. Then Anne has a vision. Naturally, all cult leaders have visions and naturally she was also on LSD at the time of the vision. The vision implied that she should adopt a bunch of children and save them from pending doomsday. So during the 60s and 70s, she adopts 14 children, some through scamming mothers into giving up their babies for adoption with the help, of course, from her medical practitioner followers. And she also convinced followers themselves to give their children up to her. She set up a property in Lake Eildon and gets around the legalities of it by setting it up as a school. The cruelest, most illegal type of school. The children all had their hair dyed bleach blonde and they all had to call Anne mum, even though she wasn't any of their biological mums. They suffered horrendous physical and mental abuse by these women who were called aunties. One of the aunties was actually one of the children's biological mothers. They were beaten, starved and plied with LSD. When Hamilton Byrne was finally caught, her and her husband fled to New York where they resumed their cushy life as multi-millionaires. Eventually, they were charged a measly $5,000 and that's it. Anne got to spend her last days in a lush nursing home in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, only dying last year at the age of 98. That is some fucked up karma now obviously there is a whole thing around that legal process how did that happen and it's too much to go into but there are some really great documentaries on the family that explain these intricacies and the dedication of the investigators and really ultimately how they literally got away with murder in the end My co Jess is really obsessed with cults, like much more than me, and we really did want to do this episode together, but she had to get her hair done. And I know that sounds like a flaky excuse, but in Melbourne, it's really not right now. So she was reading this and was like, hang on, you, you don't have a religious one. And it would be weird to talk about cults and not mention religion because so many cults stem from religion. In the documentary Explained, they say there's a joke amongst sociologists that is cults plus time equals religion, which is terrifying and a little bit true. So Jess is obsessed with this particular cult and she literally wrote this on her phone at the hairdressers while her color was processing, just off the top of her head. So you know when you think about Mormons and you obviously think about the Book of Mormon, but also you think of them as those people with 100 wives. Well, meet the Fundamentalist Church of the Latter-day Saints, or FLDS, who are doing absolutely nothing to squash those stereotypical perceptions. They're a breakaway sect from the Mormon church who still practice to this day, putting a range of brutal restrictions on those who grow up in it. What's hard about this particular cult is that unlike people who willingly go into it, most people are born into it and they don't actually know any different. In FLDS, polygamy is seen as the key to heaven, and it actively encourages relationships between much older men and younger women. Men have multiple wives and can have like 69 children, and I know I exaggerate with numbers a lot, but that's not even an exaggeration. Women are expected to dress old-fashioned, extremely modestly, show no emotions, no empathy, and it's all in this bid to protect their modesty. If anyone steps out of line, they're replaced. Like everyone's replaceable, as in like your dad is replaceable. If he questions, he's shipped up and replaced with this guy called Steve and like Steve's your dad now. No questions asked. That's it. Members spend their time worshipping Warren Jeffs, who they call the prophet, self-titled obviously, He's currently in prison for arranging a marriage between his underage niece and her own cousin, right? Disgusting. And even after books and documentaries have come out, even his own daughter detailed the sexual abuse her and her siblings suffered at the hands of her father, as does his own father and niece. His loyal followers still hold on to his every word. Again, it's their lack of education, meaning those born into the cult have no way of knowing they're in one. There have been raids, most notably in 2008, which was broadcast on TV, and over 400 children were removed from their mothers. But ultimately, they've got their own schools, laws, police force, and this terrifying cult is still standing. Cults are truly some of the most inhumane, cruel organizations that have ever existed. If you're tempted to join a cult, please just join the Kmart cult or the Jagged cult, because in the scheme of things, while worshipping Bekjad is probably not advised, it is relatively harmless. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, which we assume you do if you got this far, a five-star rating and review would really mean a lot to us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media for more lols and recommendations, also because we put a lot of work into it. To join the weekly podcast conversation, join us in the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte. Don't worry, we're not spammy at all. And for even more low-involvement entertainment, head to largealmondlatte.com. There, you'll find the show notes, but also heaps of articles to get your peepers around. See you next week.